God, what would you want us to start looking at as a brand new church? Uh, I believe that he wants us to look at the Great Commission. So that's what we're going to do for the first month of our time together. And in the Great Commission, Jesus told his followers, go into all the world and make disciples, teaching them, well, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you and baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So God is calling us to be a people who make disciples, that make disciples, that make other disciples, and so on and so on. And if you've ever tried to do that, it's difficult. It's uncomfortable for most people. We just don't do that naturally. If that's become part of your ordinary rhythm of life, it's only been through years and years of training. But fortunately, before this great task, the Great Commission, there's a story that God gives us all the motivation and all the encouragement that we need in order to do it and do it well. And stories can be a really powerful tool. This summer, I went through the Band of Brothers HBO miniseries with my small group. And uh, if you're not familiar with that, it's a true story of a group of World War II soldiers. And so as, we, as I watched this movie, it made me want to go to war, honestly. It made me want to get up off the couch and do something. It's a motivating story. And all movies are, are stories that are captured on film. So the story that God has for us today is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. This story, the gospel, is what should make us want to be a part of what God's doing in the Great Commission. So since it's a story, I'm just going to tell it to you like a story. And I'd encourage you to do whatever you find most helpful in order to listen to a story. So even if that means closing your eyes, I'm not giving you permission to sleep, but... If, it re if reading along in your Bible, starting in Matthew chapter 26 is helpful, or just sitting there and listening, listen to the story as we begin in Matthew 26, verse 1. Jesus told his 12 closest followers, You know that the Passover is coming, and I'm about to be handed over and crucified. While Jesus was in Simon the leper's home one day, a woman poured expensive perfume on his head. The disciples were mad because they thought that was a waste of money. And that money, the, the perfume should have been sold and the money given to the poor instead. Jesus said, she has done a good thing. You'll always have the poor with you, but you won't always have me. She did this to prepare me for my burial. Wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will be told in memory of her. The Jewish leaders had been plotting for some time to kill Jesus. They just couldn't figure out the right way and the right time to get their hands on him because they didn't want to look bad in front of all the other people. So Judas actually approached these Jewish leaders and said, hey, what would you give me if I helped you get a hold of him? And they said, 30 pieces of silver. Judas was like, deal. And he started looking for a way to betray Jesus. Jesus had a final Passover meal with his 12 followers, which included Judas. And he predicted that one of his disciples would betray him saying the Son of Man will go just as it is written of him. And then he identifies Judas is the one who would betray him. While eating this Passover meal together, Jesus begins something new. He begins what we call communion or the Lord's Supper. He broke bread saying, take it, eat, this is my body. He took a cup, gave thanks, and said, all of you drink, for this is the blood, my blood of the covenant, poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I won't drink this again until the day I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. When they went to the Mount of Olives where Jesus said, Tonight you'll all fall away because of me. 
yeah, because of me, is what Jesus said. You'll all fall away. For it is written, I'll strike down the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered. But Jesus promised them after he rose, he would go ahead of them to Galilee. Peter said, I'll never fall away. But Jesus replied, tonight before a rooster crows, you'll deny me three times, Peter. So Jesus went into the garden to pray, and he did it on three separate occasions, saying, Father, if possible, take this cup, the cup of God's wrath, from me, but not as I will, but as you will. After each time of prayer, Jesus found his, his three closest friends, who he said to keep watch and to pray, to be asleep. And Jesus was in his time of deep anguish and sorrow, because he knew what lay ahead of him. Judas... Meanwhile, was leading an armed mob to Jesus, and he handed Jesus over to this mob. One of Jesus' friends thought, now's a good time to be a good friend. I'm going to cut this guy's ear off in defense of Jesus. But Jesus said, now's not the time for that. Put that away. Couldn't I ask my father? And he'd give me thousands of angels to come to my defense. But then how would the scriptures be fulfilled? They say it must happen this way. Then all of his disciples left him and fled just like Jesus said they would. The mob brought Jesus to the highest of all the Jewish leaders. This council of Jewish leaders brought all sorts of false charges against him to have Jesus killed. And Jesus replied to none of them. Two men came forward and said that Jesus said he could destroy the temple, their worship place, and rebuild it in three days. With how much work we've done this summer, we know it's not that easy to construct a building in three days. We haven't even done anything close to that much work. The high priest said, Before the living God, you tell us whether, whether you're the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus replied, You have said it. And from now on, you'll see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Let's push the pause button on our story. Because when the Jews in the first century would have heard that, that passage from the Old Testament quoted to them, they would have realized Jesus was claiming to be a divine king that would reign forever. And so he answered their question, are you the son of God? By saying, yes, and I am God. That's what he was saying when he quoted that passage. And so the high priest, it makes sense now when the high priest says, he is blasphemed, and they all said, let's put him to death. They spit on him, they slapped him, they hit him, they mocked him. Meanwhile, Peter was outside. And three times, someone came up to him and said, weren't you with Jesus? I recognize you as being associated with him. And each time, Peter denied it, just as Jesus predicted. Then when the rooster crowed, Peter went out and wept bitterly. But he wasn't the only one feeling extreme sorrow and guilt because Judas had come to his senses and realized, I've betrayed innocent blood. So he went to these leaders, people who were supposed to be mediators, making peace between guilty people and God, he went to these Jewish leaders and said, I've betrayed innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? You see to that yourself. So Judas did, and he went and hung himself. So the, the priests actually used the money that Judas threw back at them to buy the potter's field, and that fulfilled a prophecy by Jeremiah. The next scene in our story is the Roman trial. The Jewish leaders brought Jesus to Pilate, who asked, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, it is as you say. The Jewish leaders brought all sorts of accusations, but Jesus, again, didn't answer any of them. And Pilate was amazed. So he was looking for a way 
to get Jesus off the hot seat. And he said, oh, Barabbas, he's a legitimate criminal that's in our jail. And I normally release a prisoner for them. So I'll ask the crowd, do you want Barabbas released or Jesus? Thinking the crowd had some common sense and would let Jesus go since this guy was a legit criminal. And the crowd was in a frenzy and they said, Jesus, we want him crucified. You release Barabbas. They picked Barabbas and they said, crucify Jesus. And, they, and Pilate said, why? And they just kept shouting, crucify him. So when Pilate saw that a riot was starting, he washed his hands. And you'll remember this phrase. He said, see to that yourself. See to that yourself. I'm innocent of this man's blood. To which the crowd replied, his blood shall be on us and on our children. Jesus was whipped. He was mocked by the whole Roman gathering. They stripped him naked. They put a scarlet robe on him, placed a crown of thorns on his head, and a reed in his right hand. This is all a mockery, making a mockery of Jesus' claim to be a divine king. They knelt down in sarcastic reverence and said, Hail, King of the Jews, spat on him and beat him with a reed. Finally, they put his own clothes back on him and led him away to be crucified. When Jesus was on the cross, they gave him wine mixed with gall to drink. Later, they gave him vinegar. Both of these fulfilled what God said in Psalm 69, 21. Then they crucified him, and they cast lots to divide his clothing, because clothing was really valuable during the first century. And that fulfilled Psalm 22:18. Above him, they placed a sign saying, This is Jesus, King of the Jews. Those passing by, Jewish leaders, even the robbers who were crucified on his left and right, were insulting Jesus, saying, if you can destroy the temple and re rebuild it in three days, then do it. Save yourself. If you're the son of God, come down from the cross. They even quoted Old Testament scripture at him. Psalm 22, 8, they said, he trusts in God. Let God rescue him now. If God does, in fact, delight in him. At noontime, darkness fell on the whole land until about 3, 3 p.m., so three hours of darkness, and then Jesus cried out, Psalm 22, saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some thought that Jesus was calling Elijah. Others thought he was calling a prophet. Let, let's see what God does now, is what they thought. Jesus cried out again loudly, and he died. The veil was torn from top to bottom in two in the temple, and dead believers were raised to life out of their tombs, appearing to many in the city, when the Roman guard saw this, they were all scared and said, truly this was God's son. A rich man named Joseph asked Pilate for the body of Jesus and was given it. Pilate wrapped the body, placed it in the tomb, rolled a large stone in front and went away. The next day, Jewish leaders gathered and asked Pilate for the tomb to be guarded because these leaders, they'd listened to Jesus and his teaching and they knew that Jesus had predicted to his followers in three days I'll rise again. And the leaders said to Pilate, if the disciples get a hold of his body and convince people that the tomb is empty and, tell, and lie to them saying that Jesus is risen from the dead, that's going to be worse than the first deception, which was Jesus claiming to be the king. So Pilate said, you have a guard. Go ahead and make it as secure as you want to, as secure as you know how. So they did. But on the first day of the week, after the Sabbath, Two women went to the tomb, and they saw an angel cause an earthquake, completely immobilizing the guards. 
And the angel said to the women, don't be afraid. I know you're looking for Jesus. He's not here. He's risen. Go tell his disciples. That's the end of our story for today. And so from this story, God is giving us three motivations for, to live out that great commission. And the first motivation that is really clear is that our guilt is paid for. Jesus paid for our guilt on the cross. You see, when, when the Jewish leaders told Judas, see to that yourself, they said, your guilt is your problem. You have to take care of it yourself. And when Pilate said that same thing to the crowd, he said, this is not my problem. You take care of it yourself. And they said, let his blood be on us. We'll take care of it ourselves. We'll take, we'll take credit for his death. But God does not say, see to that yourself regarding our sin and our guilt. Instead, he says, I saw to that myself. On Jesus' authority, he said, I saw to that myself. It's your guilt, but my punishment will take your place. The criminal Barabbas actually represents each one of us. Even if you don't have a criminal record here, we all have a criminal record before the heavenly court with God as the judge. We've all broken God's law. So if you doubt that, have you ever lied? Have you ever disobeyed your parents? Or have you ever wanted something that wasn't yours? That's what the Bible calls coveting. If you've done any of those things, then you've broken God's law. And that's just a threefold test. There's many other tests that you could run. But if you break the law, God calls you a lawbreaker. And therefore, you're a criminal. But the good news is that like Barabbas, who deserved to die, Jesus has taken our place. And so our response to that is to stop our law-breaking ways and begin to love God's law and God's ways. So instead of being motivated by guilt, we're actually motivated to live out God's calling on our lives, to live out the Great Commission, because we're motivated by freedom. Jesus once told a story that illustrated this. He said, a man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one man, 50 pieces of silver to the other, but neither of the men could repay him. So he kindly forgave both debts. And who do you suppose loved the man more? Of course, it was the one who had the greater debt forgiven. So what we need to remember is that really, no matter how much you've done or how good of a person you think you are, we all have much to be forgiven. Jesus' death on the cross was the punishment that fits our crime. That's how great of criminals we are. But the good news is that like Barabbas, he's taken our place and we get to go free. Our freedom motivates us to live out God's calling on our lives, to live out the Great Commission. So that means that no matter how bad you are, some people beat themselves up and they think they're really bad. That self-pity is what that's called. No matter how bad you think you are, you can be forgiven. Turn away from your sinful, your sinful life and trust Christ. And if you are forgiven, you have constant motivation to love much. Because you can keep remembering, I've been forgiven much. I've been forgiven much. So if you're free, we need to live like it. And that doesn't mean perfectly but that means that when we mess up, we fess up to God and to others, and we move on. That's called repentance and faith. Mess up, fess up, and move on. And you can 
actually be free. You can be forgiven by God and not live like it. But then you're missing out on part of the benefit of why Jesus died for you. So that's the first motivation is that we're not motivated by guilt. We're actually free from guilt and free to live the life that God's called us to. The second motivation is that the reason for everything in life has been revealed in Christ. And I know that's an overarching statement, but it's really true because the scriptures show us what we could never find out by ourselves. God speaks to us what we need to know the most through his word. So as, as I read this story, I didn't catch it the first time, but there's a major theme throughout, and it is according to the scriptures. Jesus said, for it is written, it has to happen this way. Because it was written this way, that's why I have to go die. Everything in God's word points to this moment, points to this story. That's why I wanted you to hear the whole story, is because even after Jesus' resurrection, the church is pointing back. Our songs are pointing us back to the cross. And the cross is where we're saved. And the cross is where we grow in our faith. And that's also what's going to make us perfect. Not our works, but when we're in heaven, we'll be perfect because of what Jesus did on the cross. So everything has been revealed in Jesus. Then the question becomes, how do I respond to the fact that life is all about Jesus? Because if you're anything like me, it's easy to forget that without Christ, life really is meaningless. There's no real lasting meaning. And one thing that God's, well, actually two things that God has used to help me with this is to get together with other believers and remember that together, that without Christ, there is no meaning in life. And therefore, with Christ, because he's risen, because he's alive and real, we have meaning and we need to live out of our purpose. But another thing that God's used to help me is find friends who believe differently than you who don't follow Jesus, and time will tell about your life and their life, who has purpose, who has lasting satisfaction. Neither of those things are convenient or easy, having good, close relationships with believers or unbelievers, but it's worth it, and it helps us stay on track. And then finally, when you realize that you're drifting and that you're living a purpose outside of relationship with God primarily, then repent. Repent and believe. That's our response to this message of the gospel. Repent and believe. So whenever you leak motivation, go back to the story. Go back to the stories of scripture because they all point to Jesus. And when your story intersects with God's story, that's a personal relationship, two stories coming together. Before I met my wife, Rose, our stories were separate. Once we met, we, be, we entered into a relationship and then an exclusive relationship. The same thing happens with God. Your story and his story merge together. And it's a relationship that's really sweet and really one that we don't deserve. So remember the woman at the beginning of the story who poured that expensive perfume on Jesus? That is what we need to do when we encounter Christ, when we remember who he is. Because when someone is precious to us, there's nothing we'd hold back. That's why engagement rings are so expensive. When someone is precious to you, there's nothing that you'd hold back. 
So is Jesus precious to you like that? Or is there anything that you've been holding back because you want this in your life plus Jesus? He has to be the, found, the foundational preciousness, your highest treasure. So uh, lastly, our third motivation is that we have a leader that's worth following. In the Band of Brothers miniseries, there's lots of different leaders of this squadron of soldiers. There's really bad leaders because they're ruthless and drive them to the ground, and they act like they care about the soldiers, but they really don't. They want to use those guys to climb the ladder. And then there's an absent leader. The guy is always gone when the bullets start flying, and the men don't respect him at all. They wish he was gone, and then he is gone, so they're happy. <laughs> Uh, and then lastly, there's a courageous leader. And that's the type of leader that when the bullets are flying and the men want to retreat, pushes them ahead and actually runs in front of them and calls them to follow. And that's what Jesus did when he went to the cross. Because before he went to the cross, he called his followers to, to, to lose their life. Matthew 16, 25, Jesus says, whoever wants to save their life will lose it but whoever loses their life for me will find it. So Jesus said it, and he did it, and he gives us what we need to do it. None of us can do that on our own. We are not good enough. We have to rely on him, and he gives us himself in the Holy Spirit to do that. If you repent and believe, the first time that you believed, you got the Spirit, and then we need to continue to repent and believe, reorient our lives to the spirit of Jesus. So we respond to the claim that life is all about Jesus, not just with lip service, saying that we're a Christian in our Facebook profile, but life service. It's not lip service, it's life service. Lose your life for Jesus and you'll find it. That means that you have a role to play in the kingdom of God. And the mission of the kingdom now is making disciples who will make disciples who will make disciples. And we, the local church, wherever God calls you to plug in as a local, in, in a local church, the local church needs you. The church needs you to play your role. We are your band of brothers and sisters. God doesn't need you. Don't hear me say that. He is self-sufficient. But we, the church, needs you to play your role and when you do, you'll experience life to the full. And you might wonder, how do, I, how do I find my role? You find your role as you lose your life. And in the gospel, you'll find all the motivation that you need to keep on losing your life. Because Jesus lost his life and he gained it. And you can experience life with Christ as you lose yours. Let's pray. Talk to God about your life. Repent if there's any way that you've tried to save your life, that you've tried to lead your own life, and know that he forgives you because he took your punishment in your place.